0: Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC. A sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ. Where no matter who you are, or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, October 17th, 2021, is entitled, Listen. It's part five in an ongoing series of, Putting the Gospel of Jesus Christ into conversation with the book See No Stranger, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love by Valerie Kaur. This week, our scripture reflection is from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 29 word of apology for the poor audio quality of this week's sermon, we are still trying to get the hang of this new hybrid worship environment and all the technology. Thank you for your grace. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to find out more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Thank you. Our scripture today comes from the New Testament, from the Gospels, from the Gospel according to John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 29. Let's listen together for a living word from God for us in these words from the Gospel according to John. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, get this water, so that I may never be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go. Go. Call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, our Samaritan ancestors, worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, that is anointed of God. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see the one who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Beloved, God is still speaking to the world and to us. May our hearts be open to listen and to respond. Amen. So We are continuing this fall through our sermon series, reflecting on the book, See No Stranger. A Memoir and Manifesto of Revolutionary Love by Valerie Kaur, reflecting in particular on how we read it alongside the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. And we're working our way Sunday by Sunday around what Valerie Kaur calls the compass of revolutionary love, a guide to help us love others, love even our opponents and to love even, even ourselves. We've been working through the steps, thinking about how we love others, beginning with wondering about them, and then learning to grieve with them, and then stepping up to fight alongside them. Now we have shifted to that part of the compass that talks about the harder job of loving our opponents. Some we might even call enemies. And Reverend Maddie led us last week in a reflection on the gift of holy rage. That is the necessary starting point for loving those who have harmed us. That is acknowledging the the ongoing harm that we are receiving. But today we take a step further to learn how to listen, even to our opponents. But first, we may have to do some thinking about who our opponents are. None of us like to think of ourselves as having opponents. After all, we're right. Who couldn't like us? But of course, on a personal level, there are those who do not like us and will never like us. I am always glad that Jesus calls us and commands us to love one another and not like one another, a much harder prospect. But there are also those who are opponents of what we believe in. And so we're talking less about a personal conflict than a conflict of values, a conflict of the stories that we tell about ourselves and one another. And indeed, there are those who are set against what we believe and what we value the value of compassion, justice, and peace that we come here to share and reinforce Sunday after Sunday.
1: Sunday. This
0: is a challenge, thinking about, much less doing, this listening. And Valerie reminds us that we must first tend to our own needs, to our own hurts, before we can turn outside of ourselves to tend to one another. We must first deal with the holy rage that their pain has caused. Then and only then, when we are ready and steady enough, does she ask us to consider turning outward and learning to listen? That is the subject that we take up today. So, Jesus, of course, knew something about having opponents, he knew about personal and systemic opponents. And we think about the traditional lists of opponents of Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Pharisees that we hear about at the very beginning of this passage that are not taking kindly to Jesus's work of baptizing in God's immeasurable love. But Jesus himself In his his full personhood and incarnation as a Jew living in first century occupied Palestine had other opponents. Opponents of his people as their story conflicted with the stories that others sought to inflict on them. And among those opponents, it's easy for us to forget some 2,000 years later, when Good Samaritan has passed into our language as a positive, that the Jews and the Samaritans were opponents at that time. They were hated half-siblings, Jews hating Samaritans and Samaritans hating Jews, separated by generational trauma and a family fight that went back hundreds and hundreds of years. The feeling was entirely mutual. And as we all may know ourselves, there are no fights like family. The closer he should be, the harder it may in fact be to live side by side. But in our text from the Gospel of John today, Jesus goes out of his way, literally on his way from Judea to Galilee. He goes out of his way to go through Samaria, to put himself in the way of this woman at the well and this long and awkward conversation. This is, in fact, the longest one-on-one conversation that the Gospels, all four Gospels, record Jesus having with anyone. And it is awkward if not downright antagonistic. It's a bit hard for us to hear from this remove, but if we look at these words, we watch how Jesus and the woman dance around one another and then dive in to engage their historical grievances. The woman is blunt. She says, why are you t-? Why are you talking to me? Your people hate my people and my people hate your people. What could we possibly learn from one another? What do you have to do with me? Also, a man from your position of privilege to me, a woman alone in the public square. Do you, do you, you people think you're better than we are? And yet, here you are at our well my well. Where should should they worship? At Mount Zion in Jerusalem, as you say, or at Mount Gerizim in Samaria, as we believe? These conflicts are not even just simmering under the surface, they are already bubbling and boiling up. They share that and they share these more personal stories as well. This woman's convoluted personal history, which is hinted at in her unusual presence alone at the well in the public square in the middle of the day when the usual thing to do was to come and draw water in the cool of the evening or again in the morning. And her willingness to engage this strange man. Alone. Alone. Eventually, they surface her longing, barely able to put words to her, to her direct, to her longing for a direct experience of God and for a transformation of the world. I know Messiah is coming, she says at the last. When the conversation concludes, we're told that she left the well and told everyone that she came into contact with, all the other Samaritans in her town, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. And as I have heard that usually interpreted, people usually take that to mean that Jesus preached good news to this woman by what he said. That he preached to her and evangelized to her. But I want to suggest today that Jesus preached the good news of God's revolutionary love, even for this woman, his opponent, and his own love for her, less by what he said, less by what he thought, and more by listening to her. Listening to her so well that she felt completely understood. This man, this man has told me everything I have ever done. And by listening, actively listening for understanding, by opening his ears and not just his mouth, opening his heart, Jesus learned by listening how to love her. It doesn't mean that 800 years of antagonism suddenly melted away. But it does mean that a new door was opened. This is what Valerie Kaur means when she says listening is key to learning how to love our opponents. She doesn't mean that we have to give hateful folks with harmful views more airtime out of some misguided sense of fairness. It doesn't mean that we have to expose our own wounded hearts more abuse. But she does encourage us, again, if and when we're ready and steady enough to listen in order to understand. To let our deep listening through all of the what's of our opponents, all of the bits of their stories, to listen through them for the why's, fears and desires and anxieties and stresses, that drive them to do what they do. There comes a point, she says, in the aftermath of cruelty or injury, when I start to wonder about my opponent, why did they do that? Say that, believe that, vote that way. What is at stake for them? What is driving their behavior? And I want to find out. Sometimes it's not safe for me to do this. I need to tend to my own wound and keep processing my rage, grief, and trauma. But when it is safe, I think about how to listen to their story. And of course, listening isn't just about being nice. It isn't about having just a civil conversation. As Kor says, I do not owe my opponents my affection, warmth, or regard, but I do owe myself a chance to live in this world without the burden of hate. In other words, laboring to love my opponents is an integral part of how I love myself. Listening is also a strategic choice, she says. The more I listen, the more I understand, I start to gain critical information about how we can respond to their greed, insecurity, or anxiety, or lack of vision in ways that will hold them accountable and fight the institutions that empower them. Listening enables us to fight in smarter ways for justice, not only to remove bad actors from power, but to change the cultures that radicalize them. Listening is how we succeed. Just to make it crystal clear that we're talking about the power of listening. For a common humanity, not listening just for some sort of lowest common denominator, common ground. I want to invoke the words of Francis Kissling, who I encountered. <coughs> excuse me. Who I encountered on Krista Tippett's thought-provoking podcast on being. Francis Kissling is an activist and president for the Center for Health, Ethics, and Social Policy. Prior to that, for 25 years, she served as the president of Catholics for Choice. Let that sit for a moment. I think she knows a thing or two about hard conversations with opponents and with allies. Kissling says in her usual direct manner, I'm not a big believer in common ground. I think common ground can be found between people who do not have deep differences. When people who disagree with each other come together with a goal of gaining a better understanding of why the other believes what they do, good things come of that. But the pressure of coming to agreement works against really understanding each other. And we don't understand each other. No, you really have to start with the first idea, with this first idea that there are some people, not all, who see some benefit in learning why the other thinks the way that they do. Some of it's the simplistic stuff of humanization, that the person becomes a real person, not just an extremist, not a liar, not evilly motivated. That, says, I am a very strong believer in. And here, both she and Kor are echoing the words of prophet and poet Um, Bell Hooks, who asks us the pointed question, how do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed? Because otherwise, what's the point? Without the possibility of transformation, our world and our victories just get smaller and smaller and smaller until at last we are subdividing even our own hearts into good and bad, friend and foe. And we will be king of the world's tiniest island. And that's no way to live. Certainly no way to love. According to CORE and Kisling and Hooks, we listen to learn how to love. Which is hard enough to do with these great big questions, the political, ideological, and religious conflicts that divide our society today six ways from Sunday. But oh, how much harder when it comes to the conflicts in our own families. Politics are easy compared to family. This and this is something I really appreciate about this book. It would have been so easy for Valerie Cor to write a political manifesto. After all, she has been intimately involved with political struggles in our nation since the attacks in the aftermath of 9-11. The wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, the debate over torture and detentions at Guantanamo Bay, the Occupy Movement elections of Barack Obama and Donald Trump, Black Lives Matter, police violence and police reform, the Muslim bans, family detentions at the U.S.-Mexico border. But instead, she made this personal, too. A memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love she shares her own personal struggles and family conflicts with us in this chapter on listening she tells us how distraught she was when her beloved grandfather papaji whose life as a warrior sage of the Sikh religious tradition so inspired her own faithful struggle for justice when Papaji announced his opposition to her engagement to a Hindu man. You may be happy now, he said, but this happiness won't last when the community disowns you. You do not become the leader you were meant to be, and our sick ways are lost on your children. I wish I would die before I see your wedding day, he announced from his sickbed. I hope that God takes me away before I ever see you married. You're betraying the goose and you will suffer for this. You are not a sick. It gives me goosebumps even to hear it third hand. Now no one here, I know, has had this exact argument with a loved one. But I imagine the point. And the pain are not not lost on any of us. I'm willing to bet you don't have to work very hard to remember a painful remark or a strained relationship with a family member that caused you pain and maybe still does. Or maybe it's you who caused the pain and still do. The bottom, the bottom line, once again, is that there are no fights like family fights. There are no opponents like those who know us best, closest. Valerie Corr found herself floored by her fight with her beloved Papaji. But she also found herself still loving him, or at least still wanting to wanting to understand why he would say such hurtful things to her so she might go on loving him, even love him better. So she listened to his life. She was fortunate enough to have worked with him years earlier to write down his life story, his terrifying combat experience in World War II, far from his homeland in the Punjab his narrow escape from new-formed Pakistan in the deadly wake of the partition of India by the departing British government in 1947, his even narrower escape from anti-Sikh violence across India in 1984, the decision to leave his homeland to seek safety with her family already immigrated to California. By listening, she came to understand That Papaji's life was an epic chronicle of courage in the face of death. And through it all, his faith shielded him. He had passed down his faith to me, she realized. He did not want me to lose it. Inside his unbending judgment was his attempt to express unending love. He was afraid of losing me. Listening gave Valerie the key to unlock more love for her grandfather, and eventually, with a lot of work, even more love and better love from him for her. But again, listening to our opponents, personal and political, and the revelations and realizations that listening may bring don't automatically make everything better. And listening like that is only possible when we are ready and steady enough to undertake the task without causing ourselves further harm. Remember, we are called to take up our own crosses, not other people's. But if listening doesn't make everything better, it may just open the door to something better. Better understanding, maybe even a deeper love down the road. After all, Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well did not end with her conversion, with her complete transformation from opponent to friend or disciple. But Jesus' way of listening, his way that left her feeling heard and seen and known, even by this Jesus, her opponent, his listening left her wondering. And as we're learning, being willing to wonder about someone else is the beginning of love. Friends, you have heard the word of God here today. Remember to give all honor and glory to our one God, creator Christ and Holy Spirit. Amen.